the winter here and, 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 and you've been wondering why Luke in 19 and 20, as we've been studying, whatever happened to these verses when I got there because I jumped ahead of them, I leapfrogged. 28 through 48, I I jumped from verse 27 to verse 45 in January, and you might ask yourself the question, why? Well, I was saving it for today. So here it is, Luke chapter 19, Palm Sunday. And beginning in 28, we find all the fanfare and the celebration of this day of joy. And what we see here is a multidimensional portrait of Jesus. What we have here is Jesus on display revealing the answer to the question, who will you say that I am? And what we have here in Luke 19 are three unforgettable scenes that frame the character of Jesus Christ. And if you look at each one of the three, the answer is utterly clear. Three portraits of Jesus. The first is the most familiar. Jesus enters Jerusalem as the king. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus had entered Jerusalem before. Twice in, the, in Luke chapter 3, as a baby to be blessed and as a young man for his bar mitzvah. The Gospel of John, in his, in his Gospel, he records two Passover visits where Jesus came to Jerusalem as a worshiper and as a teacher. But never in the Gospels does he come as a king until this moment when we read in verse 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, and when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices, for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now that may strike some people as odd, because throughout his ministry, Jesus had in fact vigorously rejected efforts to make him king, to exploit his popularity. I mean, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 6, after feeding the feeding of the 5,000, he had to escape simply because people wanted to make him king. There we read in verse 15 of John 6, Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. He had to run away from that. And yet here it is different. He accepts the title. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Why now? What's different here? And the answer is really fairly simple. First, it is about time. (laughs) It's a matter of timing. Now, within days, he would fulfill the mission that was described already in the book of Hebrews, where we read, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is his ascension to the throne as king. He is king, and the time has come. But even more, the framing of this moment is also right. 500 years earlier, the prophet Zechariah had painted this scene that we see right here. Rejoice greatly, we read in Zechariah. 500 years before, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
on the foal of a donkey. Now, now just consider the words that are describing this king in this frame. He's righteous, he's endowed with salvation, but he is also humble and he is approachable, he is livable. Ah, he is full of life. In war, as a sign of power to intimidate, kings would be found riding horses, not donkeys. It would be with horses that they would enter conquered cities. But as Jesus prepares to enter the city of Jerusalem, the whole first part of these three pictures have him procuring and then riding on a donkey. Why? In verse 31, we have the answer. The Lord has need of it. What was the need? To communicate to all who would see that he is, in fact, the prince of peace, not war. And that as king, he would be a humble king, full of grace. See, earthly kings, they impose their will. They they exploit their position. They, They remain aloof from the people. But here, Jesus shows exactly who he is, a humble Lord, with a very specific agenda. We read of that agenda in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and, and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Those are the agenda of a gentle and humble king who is worthy of your trust. But even more, as Jesus came to the crest of the Mount of Olives, the, 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 the whole golden city of Jerusalem lay before him. Uh, the, the camps of thousands upon thousands of earnest Jews who had traveled to the city just to celebrate the Passover at, at the temple filled the valleys. And even though the air was filled with the sounds of celebration at this time, he, he also knew that the voices that were singing praises would in, within days be the same voices demanding his death with shouts of rage. Crucify him, they would say. Crucify him as easily as they said, Hosanna. And within the same generation, the Romans then would also come to destroy the city that had rejected Jesus. Look at verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, what what, what do we find? We find that Jesus wept over it. What an odd thing for a king to do. But here the scene has changed, and we come to a second portrait. And what we see in this second portrait is Jesus possessed of the heart of a compassionate parent, a father. As one commentator put it, these are not the quiet tears of a disappointed prophet, but they are the chest-heaving sobs of a parent over a defiant and rebellious child. The tears of a father watching his prodigal son fade into the distance. These are the the tears that come from the weeping of a broken heart. There are are words added to uh, these tears in verse 42. If, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. 
blinded. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. It's, it's, it's one thing to say that Jesus embodies a father's heart. It's another to see that heart as it breaks. Every parent knows the, the weight of compassion for their child, and I suppose it shouldn't take too much to realize from this how God really views you, especially as you do not recognize him. Who is Jesus? He, he is a humble king. He is a compassionate parent. And then there was one more portrait for us to see, a picture taken on that day. Look at verse 45. Then he entered the temple area, and he began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. One thing is for certain. Jesus is possessed of passion. And his emotions go from weeping very quickly to one of wrath when he sees what the temple had become. (laughs) William Barclay writes that instead of whispered prayers, what he hears is the clinking of coins. Instead of incense, the smell of sheep and cattle dung, wading through a sea of merchants milking foreign visitors with exorbitant exchange rates, all in the name of God. And what was worse, Barclay writes, is that these temple shops were known as the booze of Annas and were the property of the family of the high priest. The other Gospels go on to color the story. You can, you can in reading of this moment, hear the tables crash. You can, you, can, you can also sense the birds flapping their way to freedom as their cages are being smashed by Jesus. And, and you can also hear the, the coins skittering across the, cabble, uh, the cobblestones as Jesus knocks the tables over. And some may view it as a flash of temper on his part, but it is not. It is the passion of righteous indignation that comes out of the holiness of God, a holiness that will not play games with our sin, will not indulge our indiscretions, and will not settle for anything less, especially when it comes to the place of peace that he has for his children, a refuge that he has created where prayer opens the heart to heaven. Oh, you and I may play fast and loose in our relationship with God, but have no doubt, he takes what is his quite seriously. Ask yourself the question, where is the place of prayer? He calls this the place of prayer at the temple, but ask yourself the question, where is the place of prayer in your life right now? And the answer is very clear. It's in your heart. It's where he dwells. And his house will be called a house of prayer. And it's his passion to make it so. It is his passion to to find in it the best and the purest and the most holy of places. It's his passion for you and it's his passion for me. So what do you say? Here we have three scenes and three portraits, all of Jesus, that take us right back to the question that led to this day. Who will you say that he is? He asked the question. He provided the evidence.
and he left it for us to decide. There is a little comment made at the very end of this day that makes me pause. Look at verse 47. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. It, it, it took courage to provide the evidence of his character. One commentator writes, by this time, uh, there was already a price on Jesus' head. It, it, it would have been natural that if he must go to Jerusalem at all, he would, he would have to slip in unseen, hidden in some secret place, but instead he entered in such a way as to focus the light upon himself so that he would be seen. It, it is a break breathtaking thing to think of a man with a price in his head, an outlaw, deliberately riding into the city in such a way that every eye would be fixed on him, leaving it impossible to exaggerate the sheer courage of Jesus. He would not be deterred. For ages, philosophers have sought to dismiss him. Authorities have sought to silence his word. Men and women have attempted to insult him or even ignore him, and yet he continues to have the courage to step out into the light so that you would see him. And in seeing him, see him as the king. And in seeing him, see in him the love of God the Father. And that in seeing him, you would see in him the purity that would cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He has the courage to take his stand so that you might find in him something that would allow you to decide. So what do you say? Who do you say that he is? He asks the question. He provides the evidence. He demands a verdict. You go back in that passage to verse 39. (laughs) There the celebration is in full swing. The, The people are at full volume. The branches are flying. And it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus looks at them with all that noise and action and taking place saying, I tell you, he he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones would cry out. (laughs) Ken Geyer, in his book, Intense Moments with the Savior, he defines this moment. He said, in so coming, Jesus forced the hands of the religious aristocracy. After this public act, they would have to cast a public vote. No more meetings behind closed doors. No more plotting in private. They would have to come out in the open. They would either have to confess him or curse him. They would need to either crown him or kill him. There was no more room for doubt. Only the time to decide. And silence is no option. Even the rocks on the road recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. How about you? When you see the truth, are you willing to lift your voice? (laughs) If even the rocks get it and cry out, only a heart harder than stone could possibly remain silent. So how about you? Jesus is the Lord with arms open wide, saying, come unto me. Come unto me. Let me reign in your life. Let me move into your heart. I am your Lord. Would you pray with me?
Oh, gracious Savior, you do not require any hidden wisdom to be able to see you. You step out into the open. And you make it utterly clear already what your desire is of us. We've read about that purpose within the gospel, that you came to seek and to save the lost. And Lord, all we need to do is declare that, yes, Lord, we were lost. Yes, Lord, the whole sense of heaven was blurred in our vision, and our world has done nothing to clarify that. But you have come, and you have come, and you have come, and you keep coming, and you do so with courage and persistence so that we might see you and call you Lord. And so on this day, this Palm Sunday, we see you as you are, King, Heavenly Father, righteous Lord, and give ourselves to you wholly and completely abandoned to your grace. Lord Jesus, we call you Lord. Amen. As we go from this place, our eyes have borne witness to a king. And so you go from this place, you go with a blessing that that is already yours, but comes to you afresh and anew. And may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may the power of the Holy Spirit be yours now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Go in peace.